Hey, on today's episode of Talk About Anything, I'm talking with Pastor Brian Hotram. He's the pastor of our sister church in Sweet Home, Oregon. He is also uh, a historian who uh, wrote the history of our denomination and our family of churches. You can search on Amazon and find uh, the writings, uh, the books that we talk about in uh, this episode. We talk about a lot of different things. We talk about the history of revival in America. We talk about uh, challenges communicating, especially between uh, different cultures and different generations. we talk about how his mom is the best preacher in his family. Uh, we talk about a bunch of different things. So uh, thankful for this conversation with him. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. And remember that all of our podcasts are on Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, and our Facebook page. You just have to search Faith on Hill, and you'll find starting points, 20-minute Bible study, talk about anything, and our Sunday morning services. All right, this is our conversation with Pastor Brian Hotram. But, you know, you've been at our church before, you've preached before, um, but for those who don't know, uh, not everybody uh, is live or in person and uh, all that. So so you're the pastor of our sister church in Sweet Home, Oregon, uh, which yep. is, where where's Sweet Home, Oregon? Oh, we are about an hour and a half south and a little bit east of the Portland area. So mm-hmm. East Lane County, kind of out here in the foothills of the Cascades, and uh, it's a little logging community of just just around 10,000 people. How many people are still logging? I there are I mean I've got I've got guys that work in the industry I've got log truck drivers in my church and uh, so there there's logging taking place around here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many years ago back in the 80s is when everything crashed. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So there was the spotted owl. And so oh, yeah. that really cut everything out. And so they couldn't log on public um, lands anymore. So there's a lot of private uh, land and the timber companies own a lot of this. And it's sure. just like a big farm for them. But, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of loggers around here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where you know, Warehouser functionally went into the real estate business after the Spotted Owl. Right, and, yeah. Um, you know, you can well, drive up to Mount St. Helens and it's like Warehouser, you know, planted, yeah. harvested, the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. Well, like that and, uh, a couple of weeks ago, they did the big, um, you know, the parade and big festival thing in town and all that. And part of that, they do the Logger Olympics, mm. uh, which is so much fun because there's, oh, there's the one part that I, I like, you know, I haven't been for a few years, but it's fun to watch where they do the axe throwing. Sure. It's not axe throwing like when people go to this place and you throw an axe. No, those are hatchets. No, these are these are loggers throwing real live axes at a target. Yeah. And they're quite a ways away. And it and it spins and it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And 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 the uh the the thing about all that too is, is um how these towns come back, um, which I find interesting. I, years ago, I mean, this would be six years ago now. I preached in Forks, Washington, which everybody knows from Twilight. You know, that's where Twilight's up. But it's a logging town, and yeah. and you could see that it's a town that's kind of still coming back. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't have the advantages of say a sweet home because it's so remote, right? But it is sort of coming back because the boom, you know, from the '80s and the logging that went away, but now it's finding it's found its footing. There's enough yeah. private land logging, so oh yeah you know yeah, and i think that's a yeah there's still mills around here not like it used to be but i mean it's beautiful here there's trees there's hills we got a lake yeah it's great yeah 
Yeah, I mean, that's where that's where the work, but automation would have gotten rid of the mills anyway. Like the, right. that's yeah. where the, the work yeah. goes away. Like you can't automate logging. Oh, yeah. You know, you still have to have loggers, but you can automate milling. I, you know, when, when I was in college, I, we were on the, we were on semester. So we would get out of school at the end of April. So I had a four month summer and one mm-hmm. summer I spent four months working in, uh, in one of the mills um, yeah. in Mapleton, Oregon, uh, pulling veneer on the green chain. And oh my word, that was so much work. Uh, I made a lot of money that summer, but that's that's that summer that you realize I cannot do this the rest of my life. Those guys who are in their 40s and 50s working here that I can't do that. <laughs> sure, sure. And uh, now you said you were in college and, and now I, you know, I know you, so you've got, you know, your, uh, you went to, um, where'd you do your undergrad? I'm trying to remember. I'm blanking on that one. Uh, up in Canada. Okay. So you... uh, yeah, that was Hillcrest Christian College. Okay. Um, back in the old days, we we had churches up in Canada. We had a conference up there, and yeah. so that's they had a discount for pastors' kids, and so there were a lot of pastors' kids. All the baby boomers, pastors' kid, you know, kids went there, and sure. um, uh, yeah. And the college, I don't know, it merged with uh, another college and all that. So everything's changed. But, sure. so, yeah. so, you know, you went to college there, you got your master's, now you're working on your doctorate. Uh, so yeah. you'll, be, you'll be Dr. Brian soon. Right. See, this is why I agreed to do this podcast, because it it's just another way to procrastinate finishing off that dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> I was running out of, you know, procrastination ideas. <laughs> I, we, we had a, a brother who just uh, went home to be with the Lord a couple months back, um, but he had two masters and he was thinking about getting his doctorate and, and his wife said no, uh, because she had had to like help type up and edit his, uh, his dissertations. She just couldn't handle doing yeah. another one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, no, my, my wife doesn't, she doesn't do any of that. She hasn't even read any of the things I've done or any of the books I've written. So, yeah. So it's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have written uh, books too. You, you've literally written the history of our denomination. I, I did. Um, yeah. And then I did a couple other fun things, but yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you, by, by the way, if, if you're watching, you can go on Amazon and search Brian Hotram and you'll find uh, Brian's books, uh, the history of the evangelical church. And then you have a, a shorter one. That's like, was it, um, uh, rebels, rebels and pioneers. Yeah, rebels and pioneers. That's the short history. And here's the weird thing. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I can't get. I can't figure out. I'm. I'm sure I. I could if I really applied myself, but I can't figure out how to get rid of a negative review uh, on Amazon because well, somebody went on there and posted this horrible review and mm-hmm. said you know, wow, that was awkward. Um, and I don't know where it came from. And so that's okay. You know, very few people look at that anyways. <laughs> I've actually bought uh, some things off Amazon because of a negative review. Uh, <laughs> like I just bought a badminton net for our backyard. And I was so annoyed because the, the, the net advertises itself for kids, which is why I got it for my kids. And it advertises itself as a kid's badminton slash pickleball slash volleyball. And for kids, it's a great volleyball net. But there are these like really intense, like people that are like still playing volleyball into their 40s and 50s. And they're like just bad mouthing it. I'm like, get over it. It's not an official volleyball net. This is never, 
and you kind of get what you pay for. Yes, uh, yes. Well, that was definitely true as well. So I bought it in part because I was like, I was so annoyed at the bad reviews um, (laughs) that I I went and purchased it. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, my my bad review for that book is uh, in this book, uh, the author says that Jesus was a transvestite. And I'm just where? No, that's. So yeah, that's a bit awkward. But I re- you know, I wonder if there's maybe another that's actually helpful to uh, for some sales these days. I don't. Well, know. Ha- have you have you looked to see if there is another book like that? Maybe there is another book of a similar title that makes that claim because that's the thing I'd want to know. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, and see, I I wrote a book because I uh, I did uh, I used to do uh bible studies with guys in jail and it was a uh uh, drug and alcohol rehab part of jail part of multnomah county jail and it was you're in jail but you're going through rehab and so i really had a great time there learned all about the 12 steps and i i uh and then i just kind of had this spiritual uh, view of the 12 steps to help us Mm -hmm. break this addiction to sin that we all have yeah and i i wanted to call the book sinners anonymous Mm -hmm. and um and then somebody talked me out of it and so i called it spiritual rehab and i've had i i I had second thoughts and then i looked up and then somebody else stole uh sinners anonymous and so that's you know that's been done since then it's ah, oh well that's okay life goes on (laughs) you know uh there's a you know these things are all like what are you gonna do um yeah uh and it's uh, there's so much out there. It's like uh, I don't know how original I am here. I'm not trying to copy anybody, but <laughs> you can. Yeah, I I I I I I listen to a podcast uh, pretty regularly, and there's uh, he he lives down the street from a guy who has what he calls the uh, three billion dollar kitchen remodel. Oh, and what yes. that, what that, what that is is that he was one of the first people back in the, you know, the, in the eighties or ever, or late seventies to buy Apple stock. Oh, and then yep. sometime in the mid eighties, uh, when Apple was kind of on a downswing, uh, his wife said, Hey, I want to remodel the kitchen. Why don't you sell some of that Apple stock? And it's now worth like $3 billion if he hadn't sold right. it. You know? Um, so, you know, <laughs> I mean, those kind of things happen. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an interesting question. You, you were talking about, you have a, um, you used to work with the rehab guys and you have a book called spiritual rehab. And, and also as you wrote the history of our denomination, um, one of the, the hallmarks and heritages of our denomination is this concept of holiness of sanctification being changed spiritually, uh, yeah. being set apart, whatever you want to, whatever word you want to use to describe right. it. And yeah. here's the thing that I'm running into a lot as I talk about this, or as I deal with people is the generally speaking younger and, and younger to be clear, younger is just anyone under like 45, right? Like we're not talking about actual young people, but younger people in the church don't believe that spiritual transformation is really possible. And at the same time, it's understandable why they are cynical about this because there's so much hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's like, good night. What what do you want to like, you know, you could start listing the scandals just this year and And you go, oh, well, maybe, maybe we're all just really screwed up and we don't ever get better until heaven, you know? Yeah. Where, where, where are you at? How do you walk through that with people? Because there's so much, and justifiably so, there's so much cynicism oh, in the church. Yeah. 
Yeah, let alone well, and I, I feel like it's just easier to view it as sin management. And if I can just kind of manage, manage my sin and just be a little bit better than average and, and be good enough. And the problem is that to actually do spiritual transformation, it's, it's not, oh, my, my Baptist professor, uh, he will say, there is no magic out there. And, uh, and, he's, and he's right, though. I mean, you know, this is not, years ago, we kind of had this view where, oh, you walk down an aisle, you kneel at the altar, you pray a prayer, and boom, you know, you're spiritually transformed. And, but that's, that's not how it works because it just more and more we build up with so much baggage in life and all of these things that affect us in the here and now that it, it's going to take a little bit of work to do some spiritual transformation. And, and seriously, in the 12 steps, I mean, it's not an easy thing. I, these guys, they work hard to work through the steps. And there is this taking this fearless, moral, spiritual inventory. And we don't, we don't preach that. Uh, we, we kind of shy away from that and say, you know, just be better. Uh, and just here's, you know, here's five steps to uh, have joy in your life or something. Mm. And, and there is, um, and, and there's the happiness aspect of things when there really needs to be the fearless moral inventory where we actually recognize some remorse for here's how I haven't done things the right way and I have I just I did it wrong and you can call that sin or a mistake or or just you know moral defects of character but whatever you call it I, you know, and it's tough to recognize I'm not perfect. And how am I going to, you know, be transformed spiritually? And it's, you know, uh, it's not as easy as uh, some of the old time preachers just say, just have a lot of faith and belief. Yeah, and you will be changed. And we talk about process and, the, and there really is. Mm-hmm. You know, but you need to decide, am I really committed to having god transform my life the bible tells us to do that so god wouldn't tell us to do something that's not possible uh so you know at least let's let's give it a shot and work at it yeah and and i feel like i mean you you mentioned the old time preachers you know i i feel like they get a bad rap in that they were living in a simpler time Right. So, were. so yeah. we're expecting them to delve into the complexities okay. of yeah. our era. Yes. And at the same time, so they, they get the bad rap. And at the same time, they did kind of preach a sim- simplistic or simplified view of faith. Right. That yeah. they don't get enough flack for, you know, like you'll, you'll see these guys, they'll hold up, you know, you know, Jay Vern and get you know, and, and it's yeah. like, yeah. or whoever, you know, and, and they, they live in a sort of a simplicity that even yeah. for, I think for their time was, uh, inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, the only, the only one that is, is the exception is Tozer. He he's yeah. when you actually read Tozer versus just the internet memes where they're quoting him <laughs> out of context. Yes. <laughs> you know, when you actually read Tozer, he pastoring in Toronto, Canada, even in the fifties was dealing with more complex things. Right. And, and so he, 
the difference between meme Tozer and actual like what Tozer actually wrote is night and day because he actually yes. lived in complexity. Yes, uh, yes. Well, and and as our culture gets more complex, because we're um, oh, you know, I, this isn't the right word, but it's more diverse. Uh, yeah. Where you know people in a community, it's not homogeneous. No, uh, it, it's just it, you know people are all across the board because of information, and you can have all kinds of interests and things that you know 60, 80, 100 years ago people would you know in, in a community they would all be you know within a range. Yes, and that range has broadened, and you know for good and bad. Uh, and yeah, the old timey preachers, they were calling people back to faith that yeah. people grew up with. And, you know, they, they had some sort of recognition of, oh yeah, I need to get right with the Lord. I need to come back to church. Um, yeah, here we are generations removed from that and people don't have that. They're not coming back to faith. And so they, they don't have that baseline to and so it, it, it takes a lot of work. It's a lot harder uh, when you are so far away from understanding uh, how, how the Bible works and how that impacts my life and what that means in this world today. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, complexity doesn't begin to describe it. Yeah, I was doing some uh, research uh, this week and one of the things I was looking up was like most awkward or most controversial verses of the Bible. And, and, you know, people have published lists and, and, you know, blogs and articles and stuff. Right. But what made me laugh um, was one list I saw and it was on a fairly major um, site, but, it, but it wasn't that, you know, I think it was like, you know, top 10 verses Christians choose to ignore. Mm -hmm. But it was like, they didn't understand the verses. So they say, oh, you ignore this, you know, uh, you know, some right. Leviticus verses about like haircuts, you know, right. and, and because they, of their own ignorance, they just assume that we live in some kind of ignorance that, you know, may right. not be real. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and that's the kind of the world that we're living in. We're not calling people back to faith. I mean, um, oh. you know, we're uh, <clears throat> the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, like we have people that are, are not just like their parents, they're, they're not prodigals. They're not first generation unbelievers. They're like fifth generation oh, away from yeah. church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a, yeah, it's a totally different I, world that we're living in. Yes. Well, this is a different world than I grew up in. I mean, my dad was a pastor. Uh, however, between me and my dad, you know, in our family, the best Bible teacher is my mom. Uh, my mom has been doing children's ministry forever and and she is the best uh, of the Bible teachers <laughs> of all of us. And she's the one that really taught me uh, when I would pay attention when I was a kid at church and mom would teach us. And and so, you know, that was the life I lived. But when I pastored in North Portland, uh, I had kids in the youth group, my entire youth group. They didn't know anything. And so I, I gave up trying to do you know, felt needs type of things. And I just started telling Bible stories and then I can make that application. And so I'm just, you know, this is stuff I learned when I was five and six, but yeah. these kids are 15 and 16. I'm telling the story of David and Goliath. They don't know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and they are just, you know, and I, I, I've been doing this forever. So, 
I can tell Bible stories and Old Testament stories and they are just like, what's, and then what happens? And, and no, what, uh, you know, the whole thing with Abraham and Sarah and oh my goodness. And then they're freaking out because Abraham's 90 or Abraham's what a hundred and Sarah was 90 yeah. and they're freaking out. Ew. She married a guy 10 years older than her. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call the Taylor rule in my family. So, so my pastor growing up, uh, he was 10 years older than his wife. And, you know, in the seventies, when they got married, it's like super whatever, but then, you know, now like, you yeah. know, they've been married for like a million years and they, right. yeah, yeah. million grandkids and nobody cares anymore. Uh, yeah. But, but that was kind of the rule in the church, like growing up, like if you, if you're, if there's a more than a 10 year difference, you've passed the the Taylor line and now, oh. uh, but kind of like uh, the Mendoza line in baseball. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which I hadn't heard about until recently. And then, um, and then I heard about, I, somebody mentioned it on a podcast I was listening to, and I was like looking up and like, oh, that explains the Seattle Mariners. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Um, that ex- explains the bottom half of the order. <laughs> yeah. So people who are uh, watching on video and you may have seen this, I had my phone a minute ago. What happened was, you know, we have these windows on the uh, east side of the sanctuary where I'm sitting in and I see this flutter of motion out of my peripheral vision and there's an owl that's just killed some, you know, small, whatever. A mouse or something and uh and it's just sitting there i took a picture i'll send it to you later it's just sitting there looking at me from outside the sanctuary uh wow. and waiting for whatever it has in its claws to die yeah uh, you know that's just nature so oh yeah uh, yeah now you mentioned something um that you you mentioned that your mom is the uh is the best preacher of your family i want to yeah. come back to that so we're just going to stick a pin okay. in that but before we get to that it's interesting to me that you were saying like about the kids that you were ministering to in Portland when you were pastoring up in, in St. John's area that yep. they didn't know the stories. And I think like, sometimes we think, Oh, everybody knows that story. Um, preachers certainly try to be creative. And, and the reality right. is like, it's, it's our job with each generation to, yes. to, to, as a parent, I got to tell my kids the stories as a pastor. Right. I got to tell the people, the yep. stories, you know, yep. the stories have to be repeated every generation. Yeah. yeah. And especially and, now. Yeah. And this is why, I, I am a lot more comfortable preaching the stories of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I have yet to do a big, you know, Sunday morning series in Romans. Um, Interesting. Not that that's a bad thing. I mean, I did like a series in Romans 12 mm-hmm. uh, where you really, I call it where the rubber meets the road, but you know, that's, that's a lot of work. And I love doing the old Testament stories where You've got Genesis. You got all these family that is just dysfunctional and yeah. messed up, and yet God used them. And how does that apply to us today? Yeah, Romans is actually a, a potential what we'll go to next, but I haven't decided. Right. Um, but uh, that's a potential one. Not it, we do the stories too. We have you know we have these teaching podcasts, so we're going through First Samuel right now. So mm-hmm. we literally just did David and Goliath. And, um, yeah. So um, now you were saying that your mom's the best teacher in your family. And we just had a vote last year at our annual conference about ordaining women. And it doesn't sound like it's going to pass, although I suspect we will have a chance to revisit that in the next oh, couple yeah. of years. Yeah, uh, that will my, be revisited. Yes, that will be revisited shortly. Uh, and, and my church knows that um, 
you know, my, my position is I'm like the diet. Well, I'm the diet Coke of most things theologically, but I'm the diet Coke of complementarians. I believe that God has called men to lead their homes and men to lead the church. And at the same time, the only biblically, the only place where it says it's prohibited to just men is eldership. And then what we do is we stretch things that are not eldership uh, to be eldership. And so, yeah. you know, then we say, well, they, well, women can't do this. Why? That's not right. an elder only thing. And you would have no trouble with a non-elder man doing that in the church. So why would you have a problem with a lady doing it? Cause she'll do it better yeah. than that other guy. Uh, yeah. So I advocated and fought for it real hard and then we didn't win. Um, so maybe it's my fault, but um, where would, where would, why is it, do you think that we have such a hard time um, just kind of like coming to common sense or common ground on issues like this in the church. And I will use this as an example because it's been a conversation that our family of churches has had, but there's right. so many no, conversations right. like that. Like how do we approach this thing or that thing with complexity? Right. Why do we yeah. have a hard time coming to common ground? Well, you know, the Southern Baptist church, they had this big fight with Rick Warren and ordination of women and things like that. And, mm. you know, there's, uh, yeah. And we wonder why, why is it, why does that happen? Um, and I, I think it's just one of those, oh, uh, what's the nice way of saying this, but human beings are just plain stupid. And, uh, we, it, churches don't normally split over theological things. They split over personality conflicts and those personality conflicts come from side issues and, and are aggravated by the side issues and you know we because i mean honestly like ordination women and there's a whole other list of things you you know oh what, one of the things that uh let's see oh we we have in our in our in our constitution and bylaws is uh infant baptism and i'm i'm not a i'm not a fan of that uh and it, it's just one of those things where you know, you can find theological basis either way. And so how do we come to some common ground and know? And I, oh, let's see, I read a book, uh, Peter Drucker, and he mm -hmm. talked about, uh, he has, a, you know, all kinds of leadership management books. He's yeah. like guru and stuff, but he has a book called um, oh, Leadership of Nonprofit Organizations, which was amazing. Okay. And so he talks about, you know, nonprofits like churches and hospitals and, and things like that. And he said the, the reason that change is so difficult in a nonprofit is because you're trying to save the world. Uh, in a business, you're trying to make money. And whatever makes money, that's what we're going to do. Uh, but you, you hold on to these things, whether you're, you know, uh, uh, a, a food bank or a hospital or a clinic or a church or whatever, you, you know, you're trying to save the world. And so there is this sense of, I don't want to mess this up. And, and, and this is a, this is a great cause. Uh, so it, it makes it more difficult to be open to, well, maybe if we did it this way. And yeah. I, I think that's part of our problem there because it's, it's just, you know, these are, these are big issues. We are trying to save the world and um, how do we do this? And then people get, I think they just get nervous um, because we don't want to do it wrong. Yeah. And, and I think some of the things too, is listening to people's stories instead of making assumptions, right. because yeah. um, you know, as somebody who is 
complementarian, which is the idea that God creates men and women equally, but with different complementary callings and giftings and all that kind of stuff. Um, which basically means I'm I I would be a I would vote against um, uh, women as as elders or lead pastors in the church, um, yeah. but I'm not like you know uh, I'm not militant about it. But 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 what was interesting to me was that there were so many people who are on the egalitarian side, which is like women can do anything and everything, and there's no uh, right. restrictions. Um, and and the assumptions that people had about me and my point of view being a new guy in the conference. Um, <laughs> And so they make these assumptions. And at the same time, you know, you mentioned infant baptism, which is in our bylaws. And there's a historical reason why. And I have I have argued for getting rid of it and I'd have no trouble getting rid of it until I listen to the stories of our Western conference out in the rural Dakotas and Montana, where there's a massive Lutheran influence to this day. Right. And so when you listen to their stories of like how they approach this issue because of that Lutheran influence. I go, okay, okay. I, I yes. still think we should get rid of it, but not like penalize you guys for doing it. That's kind of right. my thing. But I yes. but at least I can yeah. because I've heard the story, my whole my whole bent on it has changed because there's a relational component. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh you know that that's the deal there where and that's that's part of the reason. Oh I I I think you were probably there too. Uh mm-hmm. conference council meeting a couple of years ago. And they brought up some new rule over something. And it just seemed like that's kind of an odd rule to bring in. And, and I said, so apparently somebody did this and now we have to make a rule, don't we? Because all of these weird rules, there's always a name that's attached, but we're not saying that name. <laughs> and, sure. Yeah, and there was a situation. The no, they said, yeah, that's right. I said, I don't need to know who it was, but yeah, this is, I guess we have to make that rule. And a lot of these things, you know, theologically and in practice, there are stories and there are names attached, why we do this, why we don't do this. And, you know, we really are a product of, of just our past, you know, it's not in a vacuum. It's, it's all cause and effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, and because of this, this happens and then you just kind of, you know, get through life. Yeah. Now, I mean, you, you know, you said we're like, we're, we're not in a vacuum. We're the product of, of the past and all that. And and so, so somebody that has a deep interest in our history, you know, the majority of people at faith on Hill, uh, you know, they are not old school conference people. We have like one or two families that are old school conference families. Uh, yeah. And and that's a that's a reality in some of our churches that they're majority old school conference families. Their families have been in the denomination since the beginning of time and all that. Um, why why should anybody care about our history? Like they show up to the church, they like the church, they're fine. They yeah. they don't really care. Like sometimes I'll tell them about stuff going on in the conference, and you can just see, okay, uh, you get yeah. past this. Let's you know. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that's a good question. And and what I what I say in things is. Um, you know, since I, uh, history guy, uh, I say the evangelical church is not an ethnic group. Okay. It is, it is a group of people who, who believe in the gospel here. And this is important to us and it must be shared. And, and we care about the history. I mean, you know, we cannot live in the past. You can't go back to it, but you can learn from it and recognize that, God brought us into existence for a reason. And, and, you know, if if there was no reason, we wouldn't be around. Uh, We, we believe that God is in this. 
and God brought us into existence for a reason. And we need to kind of figure out what is that? Why are we here? And then move forward instead of trying to make up a new reason for our existence every five years uh, yeah. when we rebrand and <laughs> do something else. New. I mean, rebranding, you, you brought it up. You know, our denomination is called the Evangelical Church of North America. And, right. and we still have like stamped in places, FECNA, which is Faith oh, yeah. Evangelical Church of North America. <laughs> and I don't understand why that's they awesome. did that, but that's what they did. Because we yep. were originally Faith Evangelical Church, and then like 10 years ago, they changed it to Faith on Hill Community Church, the longest church name ever. Um, right. And and so, um, you know, there has been talk over the years, especially in the last couple of years, of changing our names locally from Sweet Home Evangelical Church or Corvallis Evangelical Church or whatever, and changing the denomination's name. Right. Um, and, and with the changes that are going on at the denominational level, like, you know, we may be in a place to do that in right. the next couple of years. But here, here's a question is, you know, evangelical has become a bad word right. in the last, you know, especially in the last five years and definitely in the last 20 years. Yeah. What do you think about, because there's some who say, well, why should we change our name? We are evangelical. We have a focus on evangelism, on the gospel, right. um, the original meaning of evangelicalism. I, I've, I've went and looked up the history of where the term came from, where the idea came from. I could sign off on the original tenets Right. Uh, as it was yeah. originally constituted. Yeah. But, but, you know, so there's some people say, why should we even change our name? Like we're going to stand firm. We're not going to let others define us. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I have publicly said that all of our churches should drop the evangelical from their name. So wh wh yeah. where, where are you at on that? Well, yeah, I, I, I feel like it's, we need to drop that. The, the culture hijacked it. And I, I look at it like this. I remember, oh, I remember this interesting conversation I had with the conference superintendent, and this was uh, almost 20 years ago. Uh, but the, the mainline churches were the mainline. They call them mainline. And, and they all, you know, were more liberal, declining for many years. And it was, you know, in the 80s when you got Ronald, you know, well, in the 70s, you got Jimmy Carter. And yeah. Ronald Reagan, you, you know, and then George W. Bush. And so it got to be where, oh, the evangelicals, that's the biggest game in town and small e evangelicals. And then everything jumped on that. And so it, it completely warped the term evangelical Christian. And so, yeah, I, you know, honestly, I'm for local churches. You pick your own name whatever works for you. And so I, I think we kind of need to change the, you know, change the name of the denomination uh, just because churches in Eugene and Seattle and Portland. Yeah. You know, we got a, a cool name, but uh, yes, we belong to this group that, you know, sends up warning flags for some people. And yeah. so the, the downside is there's 6,000 denominations in the world and all the good names are taken. So I'm. Yeah. I don't even need a good name. I just need a different name. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, what, yeah. what we think you get, it's, it's like the cool, the, the, the coolest kids in high school have the most embarrassing yearbook pictures because right. they're so dated. Then you, they're the kids that that, that picture gets used in a movie 30 years later as right. a joke. 
And then the kid who's not that cool, who's just, you know, it's 1975 and they're wearing a flannel shirt and and Converse. And everybody's like, oh, they look exactly the same as any other person over the last 40 years. Right. Uh, You know, those things never go out of style. And so I I think there's kind of, I don't need a cool name. I just need a name that's like accurate. You know, exactly. And, you know, something that's, you know, remotely accurate and uh, where in it, I mean, I'm, I'm as evangelical as you get, but I'm okay with moving on from it too, because I mean, that's just, that got hijacked and words get changed over time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They just do. And uh, so that's, uh, that's life goes on. Yeah. And when we have these things, I had a friend and he's not alone in this, but he might've been the most militant about it. I had a friend who had a really hard time that we didn't use biblical words to describe church leadership. So elders and deacons. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, one of the things I pressed back was why don't you make a big deal about bishops? And, and he never had a good answer for it, but he could at least acknowledge that Bishop was a hijacked word. You know, it, it rang of the Mormon church or Catholicism. And I'm not equating the two. I think Catholics can be saved. And I think Mormonism is a false religion, but like, or even, um, you know, these, when you go into like the Pentecostal churches, um, mm-hmm. that whenever somebody claims the title Bishop, it's usually a power move right. and, and something that's, that's not, not good. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so he at least could acknowledge that. And I'd say, well, it's, it's the same thing. Like, you know, elder, like, you know, elder, yeah. elder, elder Jones or elder Smith. I mean, the, that's the, the Mormons too. Like, yeah. wh- why is it that, that you can't get past that? But, you know, I some know, people just, like that. Was- it seems awkward when this 19 year old kid knocks on your door and his, his tag says he's elder, you know, Dave or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, elder, I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, and I do, I, you know, I like the idea of biblical terms, but again, I mean, everything changes in language is kind of important. And we're living in a culture here where they change the meaning of words quite easily and quickly. Yeah. And then they, uh, then we make up words constantly. Well, and, all words are made up. Yeah, we'll we'll just you know we'll combine words too, and uh, you know like chillax and hangry. I'm like that's okay. <laughs> Hang, hangry is a word that we should have invented a long time ago. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's the most accurate word I've heard uh, in a long time. <laughs> that is my favorite line in all of the the Marvel movies. Is is when uh, somebody says to Thor, "Well, that's a made up word," and Thor says, "All words are made up," and <laughs> I, I quote that to myself often, right. not to anybody else, just to me. Um, yes, because I, well, I was reading a, I was reading a commentary recently, and the guy said that holding that position is jejun. And I was like, that's not a real word. That's not real. It, no, it is. I looked I it up. It. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, it's like, well, that seems like a made up word. Where hangry seems like something perfectly reasonable that should have always been in the English language. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I, uh, let's see, I was reading, I don't know, digging way back, but I was reading something on Confucius, and Mm -hmm. well, oh, that's right, I used to teach world religions, and so I was reading on Confucius, and one of his things, because the emperor came to him, and like, how do we organize uh, the empire, the Chinese empire here and stuff, and he said, the first thing you need to do is define the language, uh, because people say things that mean different things yes uh and and then you talk past each other yeah uh, yeah which which is the whole point of uh what is that movie hero with jet lee 
that um oh yeah yeah oh, movie's so good uh but oh, but yeah. the whole the whole point is you know the emperor it's like why are you doing all this and he's like because we have no unity like we have to have like a, a unified language a unified people right. yes. for us to yeah. prosper oh um, man that was a great movie oh, oh visually sure. stunning what is yes. that was that ang lee or something uh, no i i, I forget uh, who directed it um it was not ang lee that's crouching tiger um, okay <laughs> but uh but yeah i um that movie, I, I, yeah, I think the world of that movie. Oh, just um, visually stunning. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think the pro the problem with that movie though is because it's so visually stunning and so dependent on um, image and music that there are finer points in the plot that if you haven't watched it several, right, many times as I have, you, you, the first time you watch it, you do not get that the whole thing is that he wants to kill the emperor because the emperor has been trying to just like bring some kind of cohesion to China. You know, yeah. instead of like every, you know, everybody has different words for the same thing. Like we're gonna have one language. We're gonna have be a unified people. Um, yes. You know, we're, yeah. we're we're not gonna fight each other. We're gonna stand together. Right. Uh, yes. And and that is like it actually goes a little bit back to like one of the challenges I think the church is facing right now is we need people like a Chinese emperor who's going to just like say we're gonna do this. Right. And then yeah. at the same time if they're kind of left unchecked, then they become these, like, they become the center of scandals and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, all the, all the stuff that comes up in the, in the, in the news, right. you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle of reading a book. Uh, well, I, I listen to a, a lot of books, um, a book on uh, Ulysses S. Grant and just, you know, the general through the war and just, you know, he's no statesman. Everything yeah. was pretty matter of fact, straightforward. And the problem was, you know, all these scandals in his administration, they weren't from him. They were just because he delegated and trusted people and they didn't <laughs> follow through and they were not, they were not uh, as honest as he was, I suppose. Um, yeah. And, and so then you get into all this mess where, and, and, and they're actually getting to the uh, the part in 1876 where you have this contested election and then how did how did Grant have to step in and carefully maneuver this thing, uh, which is uh, not all that different than 2020 election. Uh, there's that, there's no application. There's nothing similar in our recent history that, that right. might speak yes. to. Yes, yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm about two thirds of the way through it. I'm really, you know, now we're getting to the 1876 uh, election there where it was contested and mm -hmm. there's different states and they had different electors, the electoral college and the fights over that. So it's, it's actually pretty fascinating right now. Yeah, and it, it's funny how like, um, you know, Grant, the scandals in his administration was because he delegated and it was other people. Uh, Warren Harding is, is possibly the most corrupt administration. I, I know everybody's going to say it's it's uh, whoever Trump or Obama, whichever or Biden, whoever, which one, whichever right. one you don't like. Um, yeah. But but no, Harding, you know, Harding had. There. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, he, he, there's but, still but the, questions about his wife might have killed him. Yes. But but Harding, the 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 kind of the now that we have time and perspective, the, the thing about Harding that's kind of thought now is it wasn't so much that he was corrupt, it was that he never told any of his cronies no and they were all corrupt. Yeah. Uh, and and I think there's something to that where where we need time to to see, right. you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, like, like, you know, who's the worst president ever? And, and I like to just say James Buchanan because I've read the book Worst President Ever, which is the only, <laughs> the only popular autobiography of J or the only popular biography of James Buchanan. And right. he was the president that, that, that caused oh, yeah. this. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, you know, these ideas of, of corruption and sometimes people get blamed for things. I was like, it wasn't really them. It was actually some other person. They just, where they were at fault was they didn't tell them no or, or right. whatever. And um, so that's just plain bad parenting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, well, it's, come along. Yeah. It's, it's funny. In our previous church, um, we had this reputation among the young families as being helicopter parents. Oh. And then we also had people that would just say, well, your kids are easy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it cracks me up because, you know, the things that were, you know, people don't see it, but the things that we deal with, with, with having an autistic son and all this stuff, like, you know, I kind of laugh because I'm like, yeah, my kids, are, my kids are easy. I got you know, oh. stuff you don't well, see. Yeah. Well, and people, yeah, they do that. I mean, they, you know, people talk to my wife and, and they just think that she's like this greatest mom because the girls turned out wonderful mm -hmm. and they're great kids and, and kids are in their twenties here. And so they're, uh, what next month they'll be 27 and 24. So, you know, they're awesome. They're crushing it at life. Uh, but you know, and these moms will come to my wife and just, they'd feel, they'll feel bad. And Darlene will say, it wasn't always easy with my girls. It's easy now. I have a sure. great relationship with them now, but I was hard on them. It was not easy. We had difficulties and oh my word. And, and, but other people, they don't see that part. Um, yeah. but yeah, oh, she was a tough mom. <laughs> No, and, and that's, I think, the thing that goes into a lot of this, the relational element. And this even goes back to what we were saying about, like, you know, talking past each other. Because oh, yeah. you just see the outside. Like, I'm at the place now where I assume literally every person I meet is dealing with some kind of major something that they just aren't telling yes. anybody. Yes. Um, yeah. And but we have these ideas, that, oh, they don't have any issues, or they're this or that, or they've got it figured out. And like, no, nah, probably not. They just yeah. are or, you know, you just think yeah. that. Um, yeah. Well, in, in uh, John Maxwell, um, I'm still a little bit sad he quit being a pastor and, and he does all the leadership stuff, which is good. I mean, it's a good thing, but I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, it's a little bit sad you quit being a pastor, but whatever, you know, hey, you know, you're on your thing. But I, in one of his books, he, he, he has this story about when he was a young pastor and his dad was a pastor. And his dad sat him down and told him exactly that and said, every single person that walks into your church, they're dealing with something. You have no idea what's going on. They yeah. are dealing with pain and loneliness and they need hope. And it's your job to give them that hope. And, uh, and so, you know, that, and, and that's, that's, that's fascinating and, it, and it's right on too. Yeah. And, you know, I used to get really bummed out when I would, when I would meet people who used to be pastors. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it did, especially yeah. in my like early days yeah. pastoring. Cause I would just think you had to me the greatest job in the world. Why would you right. quit? Um, and then you spend 20, you know, the last 20 years doing it, you get kicked right. in the teeth a few times and you understand, but then yeah. there's also this thing, and this goes back to the ordination of women where we take this word pastor Mm -hmm. And words change and we make up the meaning for them with every generation. 
But yep. take this word pastor and we literally throw everything into that basket. Oh yeah. And, and I think some of it, it makes sense that like um, we are uh, pioneers or the descendants of pioneers. And so when, when you came, you know, the original four pastors who came from right. the East coast to yeah. Oregon to, to start our churches um, you know, those, those guys had to do a lot because it was yeah. just them. Whereas our churches back East, there was a built up organization. Right. And, yeah. and so not yeah. everything was thrown into this basket and in, yeah. and in Europe, even more so the, you know, the older churches, because the original church, you know, they would have, they had this idea of, of elders. And then mm-hmm. there's like, you know, um, Paul was writing to Titus and the, it's the book of Titus for those who don't know. And, uh, and he says, I, I've sent you to the island of Crete to appoint elders, but there was already a church going. So the right. church is happening and there's people who are just day-to-day running things, but there mm-hmm. weren't any elders. So, so he ties his job is to appoint elders. But I think what happens is there are people who are willing in a church to step into that role. And yeah. then, and then it's like, oh, you're a pastor now, but they were never really an elder. They were just a guy or a gal who was just willing to step into a right. role to help, yeah. help guide things along, care for people. Yeah. And then that season's done, you right. know, yeah. but, but because they had this title that we put all the eggs into the basket, you know, right. yes. you know why, but they were never an elder. They were just a, somebody who was willing to help out. And, and we, yes. I appreciate them yeah. now, yeah. whereas I used to not understand them or even uh, scorn right. them a little. In my well, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm totally with you there too, where, you know, I used to think how sad is it they quit being a pastor and then, you know, but then again, it, you know, maybe they really weren't meant to pastor for a long time. Maybe God called them to step in when they were needed, when nobody else was available. And maybe they even stayed a little too long. Uh, who knows? Sure. Well, uh, I, I assume, I assume that most people will stay too long at most things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, I mean, I mean, there's a reason why, like, you know, there are, you've been at events and things where like, there's always somebody that stays too long or somebody starts yeah. to like flicker yeah. the lights, you know, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people start vacuuming, you know, and people are like, they're not getting the message, you know, they're oh. going for a third helping of cake. Yes. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that, that happens, but, uh, yeah, but you know, there's that, that aspect of pastors where it's, you know, is this a lifelong calling or were they just stepping up you know, in that spot for now, and how do you discern all of that? And it's, uh, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. And then we, you know, I, I've talked with a lot of pastors and they talk about being put on a pedestal and everything. And, you know, yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul put himself on a pedestal and said, you know, follow me. Like I follow Jesus. So, yeah, I, I do think though, that's where it would be beneficial even if we didn't use the words exactly, we were talking about Bible words earlier to return right. to biblical concepts of apostle, elder, yeah. and deacon, because right. then there's so much freedom. Like there are people who are brought on staff and all of a sudden they're called pastor, right. but they're not, they're just a deacon. They're a servant of the yes. church. Yes. And, and I don't mean just a deacon, like a, forgive right. me for yeah. saying that that way, but, but they're not yeah. this other thing. And, well, and they were actually, so when I got here, they had called everybody pastor who had any kind of like responsibility. <laughs> Right. And, and I just went around to some people and I said, just so you know, going forward, we're not calling you a pastor. Right. And there was like a thank you. I literally had people say, thank you. <laughs> that was a lot of pressure. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and some 
some lead pastors like doing stuff like that because then they can show off here's all my staff yeah um, no these are just these are just committed people who serve in your church uh back like oh 100 years ago our denomination we actually had uh, a deacon and deaconess uh level of credential uh mm-hmm. which i thought was great and you know and and they're you're you're kind of working into ministry you have a credential you're a deacon or the deaconess society and these women in ministry there's this credential for them and they somehow got rid of it in the 40s or something like that well uh, the 40s were a bad time you know lost lost some there was some bad stuff going on yeah um you know but uh the the um i i I think we should i i think that we have we have currently um we have three main credentials we have the uh, ordained elders and which you and i are and then we have licensed preachers who are generally speaking young younger guys who are on their way or in theory uh, right. newer guys let's just call them newer guys because some some of them are older uh, right. newer guys who are on their way towards ordination and then there's commissions which is what we do for women who are working in leadership right. positions and we don't have anything else i'd like yeah. to expand that commission role not just for women right. but for like that concept of somebody who is oh. a a ministry yeah. leader in our churches right yeah um, and but well, they're not we're not putting the pressure on them that they don't want yeah you know yeah exactly and i you know in the Oh, in the Western Conference, they have uh, they have uh, oh credentials um, that are kind of temporary. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a local licensing or something like that. And I I, I kind of like us to do something like that. I think like a local commissioning would be good yeah. because if you have somebody that is doing ministry, they're very involved. They're never going to be a senior pastor. We don't even want them to fit. You know contemplate that because we don't want to put them in a bad position sure but they're doing ministry and we just want to acknowledge and recognize that um and and also then there's tax issues too when you put them on staff and all of that so everything gets complicated yeah and and you know uh, my previous church was which is in a different group of churches so different rules but we every year had to recommission um we had several chaplains that were part of the church but they right. did chaplaincy work with the fire and police departments. And yep. um, the commissioning was legally and tax-wise necessary for them. Yep. But the, yep. the, the nice thing about having to do it every year was it, it wasn't a lifetime thing, you know? And, and, and um, one, of, one of the chaplains, um, there were some issues, and so we just didn't recommission them yep. the next year. Yep. Um, and, and that took care of that, you know? No right. big no big, no big right. hit, you know? Yeah, I pastored out in Iowa in our North Central Conference for, uh, uh, what, 13 months. And um, they, the, the superintendent, he, uh, every year he would give us, uh, it's like the size of a business card. And it, it just basically says, this person is an authorized pastor in this conference and the superintendent signs it. And just, you know, in case you need that at a hospital or something, um where they're saying you know really are you a pastor yes i have a card (laughs) i have gotten that response before from 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 hospitals because yeah because if you show up i remember uh somebody somebody had an accident they had to be rushed to the hospital so i found out what hospital they had went to i drove out there but i it was my it was my day off and i had been doing yard work and i was not presentable (laughs) You know, it was not wearing nice clothes. I was wearing a baseball hat and grubby t-shirt. Right. And, 
the response from the, I mean, it was one of the most condescending things I'd experienced the response from the people there. And I was like, well, look, I came from doing yard work. Cause this guy is, in, you know, right. yeah. ER yeah. situation. Uh, yeah. but yes, I'm a pastor, <laughs> you know? Yes. Uh, I, I, I started as a lead pastor when I was 28 years old and probably looked a little younger. And for years, people would say, oh, you're not old enough to be a pastor. And I used to be offended and they don't say that anymore. And so now I'm offended in a different way. <laughs> well, see, see, you should have grown the beard out because yeah. that's that's what my I do because I, I have a baby is, face. Oh, uh, my problem is when I grow a beard out, it comes mm-hmm. out in patches of red and gray. And so yeah. I, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I have red and gray going on. Uh, uh, I, oh. I think one of the reasons I like the beard is it's a reminder that I used to have red hair. Um, and now I'm, I'm old. And so I don't, um, the, uh, the, uh, you know, as, as we're moving forward, um, you know, the, the, we're in, we're in what I would call a contraction period of the church in America. Right. You know, we are, we are constricting, we are not expanding at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Historically America is cyclical spiritually. We have, we have historically been, boom and bust we've had revivals and then we've had contraction periods right yeah and you're never guaranteed the next revival but in theory historically this is very similar to pre-great awakening very similar to pre every revival yeah 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 yeah. Uh, everything that we're experiencing right now um you know beyond our our own denomination's history um which does have roots in revival but just church history in general um where where do you see us like you know, we are, we are in a contraction period. We are in the same situation that Christians in America have been in many times before. Right. Um, And, and yet it feels like this time people don't have hope that, that we will get into that revival expansion. And, and they've, they've always been like that too, during those periods. Um, You know, for my, oh, the church, denominational history book you know i i over research and i mean that 1790s in america um they just i mean they felt like christianity is done it is completely done in america and so they were kind of what are we gonna do it's a mess here and yeah it's difficult to try to uh again was peter drucker say you can't um you can't predict the future but you can make the future and so i we can't really predict what's going to happen uh but i i feel like there's some things we should be doing um just to get ready and to kind of streamline instead of you know over organizing over complicating things how do we streamline so when when that cycle comes back around uh, that we are ready. We're ready spiritually. We're ready organizationally. Um, otherwise, you get left behind, like you know, other groups have in the past. And, and not just left behind, but I do think, um, like, just not groups, but people. I've told the story in our church before, but you know, I, I, I pastored in England for five years, and I would talk to people of, of my parents' generation, and they had incredible stories of revival in the 70s in England, yeah. the same as America has these revival stories, yeah. because that was the last revival was the 70s, mm-hmm. and at least on a national level. And so, um, but I would say, well, what happened? Because 
in America, the revival carried us through the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Yeah. And what they told me was there was a refusal to embrace what God was doing. So right. uh, I've heard yeah. stories, I've heard stories of, of, you know, thousands and thousands of people in Hyde Park in London, uh, mm -hmm. and, and they're, and they are basically holding these like mass evangelistic rallies that are like flash mob evangelism. And, yeah. and, and then what happened? Well, the church didn't accept them. Um, yeah. The, the Keswick Convention, which is this really famous uh, right. convention that's happened for like 200 years in England. It's like it's like Christian Lollapalooza, Coachella, whatever in England. And, and up until the 80s, it still was. Now it's kind of the shell of itself. But um, but part of that was in the 70s, they brought in some of these revivalist preachers. And then they said, but you can't be yourself. You can't, uh, you know, you're you're a hippie right. revivalist preacher, but we need you to wear the suit. You're a hippie right. revivalist preacher, but your hippie folk music that is key to your ministry, you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've heard what they did was they set up the 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 bands and everything in these you know parks and everything just outside of the convention and did their work there. Yeah. Um, so I think about that a lot. Like, will we be ready, or or will God right. in in His grace send a revival that we will just miss? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I got a book, you know, going back to our history, um, back in the 1800s, uh, after the Civil War, there was the Holiness Revival. Mm -hmm. And it was basically, you know, I mean, you can take shots at, at anything these days. But at the time, it was really, it was not all that different than the 1600s with pietism. Sure. And saying, you know, the Reformation was great, but has that really changed us inwardly? And yeah. in the 1800s, it was a holiness revival. Yeah, that's fine. I have good theology, but has that changed you inwardly? And our, our denomination was saying, wait a minute. And so I have a book written in like 1870, 1880s or something. And it's basically a bunch of essays uh, from leaders from the denomination at the time saying, wait a minute. Yeah, no, this has been us all along. Uh, you know, this is this holiness revival is something that we embrace. We've been preaching this thing all along. And so no, this isn't something different. Uh, this is us. And so we're happy to join in with the revival that's taking place. And yeah. that you know, and, and I, and I look at that and, and you just read these things of people just talking about this, you know, this transformed life. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's what we need to do and, and be ready and to embrace when things come along and say, yeah, that was important, but also to be discerning too, uh, because there's all kinds of fads that come along. And the older I get, the more I, I look at things as a fad and like, oh dear, <laughs> But. Well, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit the other way, like where I think um, the older I get, the more I just need to accept that I won't like whatever God's going to do. <laughs> right. Because, because, you know, it, like I, I was, I was having coffee with a younger couple in our church this week, you know, and they're in their, their early twenties and they just see the world so differently than I do. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, and that's not right or wrong. It just is, they just have a different perspective. Right. They grew up in a different time, um, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And so I, I think I just have to have like a little bit of acceptance of like, we can recognize when, when, you know, if, and when God pours his grace out again, 
We can mm-hmm. recognize where we've always been. Hey, yes, we, we're with that. It's going to look a lot different. We're not going to like it. Um, yeah. and, and that doesn't mean that old things are bad. I, I had a conversation with, do you remember the song in this? Uh, it had two names. It was one of those annoying songs that nobody could decide on the name. Um, but but it was either In the Secret or I Want to Know You More. It was really big in like oh, the yeah, late 90s, yeah, early yeah, 2000s. Yeah. It's a Vineyard UK. Sonic song. Flood. Yeah, Is Sonic Flood popularized yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and so somebody said like, is that still appropriate for churches? And I made this smart, start, snarky comment. Well, I said, yeah, 20 years ago. And, and somebody else was like, <laughs> well, what about, you know, these, you know, come thou fount is a, you know, hundred something years old. And I said, I, I played that two weeks ago. Yep. Uh, you know, there are things that still work. Um, yep. You know, be thou my vision is like a thousand years old. Right. It still works. Yeah. Amazing Grace is still better than most songs written today for the church. It's do- now we don't do it the same, right? Right. <laughs> but it still works. Yeah. And um, and and then at the same time, like that's in the in the secret song, like it's very much of the late nineties. Oh yeah. It yeah. just doesn't work right now. Like it yes. sounds yeah. very much late nineties church. It's very locked yeah. in, and it's yeah. not particularly like the lyrics aren't so deep that you're like, well, I just got to rewrite the music because the lyrics are so fantastic, you know. Um, yeah. And I think it's okay to say like things have their moment, oh, yeah. and then yeah, there's things that that last. Yeah, songs kind of they have their uh, their I don't know their their expiration date sometimes. Uh, yeah. Because well, when I got to the church here, twelve years ago, uh, they were doing like maybe one old hymn, and then they were doing their newer songs were newer in the seventies, and so they're doing all these seventies and early eighties choruses. And yes. I mean. It's, 2010 people uh and some of these songs were great in the 70s uh, but we're going to retire these and oh boy that was that was a tough a tough transition here uh to kind of you know they weren't hanging on to all hymns all the time they were hanging on to choruses yeah. from the 70s and <laughs> in the early 80s yeah uh, and that's when the church was in its glory days and booming. And that's when the lumber and timber industry was booming. And so sure. everything coincided. So those were reminders of the good old days. And oh boy, that was, that was a tough transition. <laughs> I think there's a certain self-awareness too. Like um, there's, there's music that I love that means so much to me. Right. But yeah, but you know, it's nobody else is going to like it. Yeah. And, and yep. there's an awareness of like, I was, uh, we were, you know, we went on this road trip uh, this week and we went up to Seattle with our family and um, we went into the bathroom at a McDonald's somewhere just stopped, you know, on the way to go to the bathroom and they're playing uh, the Goo Goo Dolls from the nineties, you know, one of the biggest bands in the, in the world right. in the nineties. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and I, I said to my oldest son, I said, does this sound like old people music? And he goes, Oh yeah. Cause it is. <laughs> It is old right. music now. Like it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's yeah. those guys are old. It's old music. Right. Yeah. And, and that's how it comes off to my son. It sounds like old music. Right. You know? Yeah. And uh, well, and I, I think about that when, when you're preaching and studying the scripture too, because I, I remember this one time, it was so clear where I felt like the Lord was speaking to me on something and I'm, I'm just, I'm reading my Bible and the Lord's really speaking. And but that was just for me and God was speaking to me, but I made the big mistake of, okay, so now I need to preach that to my church. And that was like, you know, I am halfway through the sermon and I'm going, this is so wrong. What am I doing? 
this was not for them. This was for me. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't apply to anybody else here. What am I doing? And yeah. so there, yeah, that, that was one of those lessons I, I learned, I guess, where sometimes there are things that are for me, but I have to have this awareness of, okay, what's, what's for them? You know, what's really going to work for them? whether I like it or not. (laughs) And I don't know. I mean, I think most people listening aren't pastors, but it's applicable to non-pastors because we're all sharing with somebody. Like we're all, we're all sharing what we've been given with somebody. And so maybe you're talking to your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, whoever, and maybe there's this thing that just makes total sense to you. I, 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 you're, you're in the Dunder Mifflin Facebook group, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So we're both in this group and the group is basically a place to post office memes with a Christian, like, you know, memes that are funny to Christians, but they use the office templates. Right. Right. So I, I posted one of the classic office meme templates is the, is when, uh, Pam yells at Michael, like stop dating my mom. And Michael says, I'm going to date her even harder. And so, you know, this is like one of the classic office memes. And I posted a meme that said, uh, you know, me stop talking about the chosen. And, and then I, and on the, on the Michael side, it said, you know, boomer Christians, I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about the chosen even harder. Right. Um, And it's by far like the most responded to thing I've ever posted in that group. Um, And uh, but it's true because there's this thing where like, I, like if you liked the chosen, if it blessed you, if it caused you to just understand the love of God for you more, if it caused you to read the Bible more, whatever, that's right. fantastic. There's no, I'm not yeah. knocking the show. Right. But I think what happens is like, you know, the, whether it's the chosen or like 15 years ago, it was the passion of the Christ or, you know, yeah. uh, the left behind series or whatever. It's some, some oh, yeah. phenomenon happens. Prayer within Christianity. <laughs> Prayer of Jabez, courageous or fireproof. Oh, you yeah. know, like I've never seen fireproof. And there were, I had friends that were like, you have to see this movie. And I'm like, I don't feel like I need to watch a movie right. uh, to understand how to love my wife. Right. Like, yeah. I, I mean, if it, yeah. if it blessed you, that's awesome. Yeah. I yeah. just don't, as a rule, do not watch Kirk Cameron movies. Right. <laughs> it's just a general rule I have. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but we have this thing that's like somehow personally offensive. Like I loved that movie. I loved Fireproof so much. How could you mm-hmm. not? I like, it's not that I don't like, it's that I never saw it. Yeah. But <laughs> if it blessed you, that's great. Just understand that like your, um, you remember the band Cutlass? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've had the chance. I actually know one of the guys in Cutlass, a uh, great guy. Yep. Um, he's the one guy not from Oregon is the one guy that I know, okay. but I've also, yep. I've talked cause I used to be a, on this podcast as a host and we interviewed uh, Christian musicians and worship people. And so I've talked to a couple guys from that band. They're cool guys and nothing wrong with them. But I remember a lady in a church I was serving at who I was the worship pastor. And so she came to me and said, my grandson really likes worldly punk music. And so I was thinking I could get him a Cutlass album. And I said, your grandson will not like Cutlass. Yeah. Because to this, to this lady in her mid sixties at the time, Cutlass was very edgy, right? But nobody listening to punk rock as somebody who listens to punk rock, I can tell you that nobody right. will think yeah. Cutlass is yeah. an acceptable alternative. Right. Well, okay. Here's the funny thing. I got, I got a lady in my church. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they live in Lebanon, but drive here. Yeah. Uh, and for years she taught school in Albany. And one of the members of Cutlass was one of her kids in like fourth grade sure. uh, <laughs> in Albany. And, but Janice was a teacher and she's my, you know, my uh, computer person and, and yeah. uh, 
with they we call it the whiz bang for some reason but uh, uh she does all the powerpoint stuff for me and but she's this retired teacher and she told me something years ago that i try to take to heart she said people learn in different ways yes and so what works for you may not always work for other people so it's okay to switch up how you communicate to hit different ways people learn and and she said it in such a kind way too uh without you know telling me stop using all your illustrations from sports okay but uh, <laughs> um and so I, I you know i get that and occasionally i'll throw in like a poem or something can't i i can't stand that i can't stand that uh, but it means something to some people when you throw in a poem or something like that, you know, it is meaningful to some people, uh, in, in, in the congregation. It's just, you know, how are you going to communicate? And sometimes you have to communicate in ways that don't make sense to you, but it will make sense to them. Yeah. I think that's, that's like the good, you know, way to kind of tie this all up is that, there are so many, we don't live in a, a homogeneous society anymore where we don't have consensus. Words mean different things. But if we can learn to communicate in a way that means something to somebody else instead of the way that means something to us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. this is why the buzzword oh, 20 years ago was missional. Um, and we haven't used that word, but that's kind of, you know, that's still where we're at, though. It's how do we exegete society how do we be missionaries how do we communicate and and like you know and i talk to people too where we didn't grow up you know this world we have now this is how we grew up and it's a different culture it's a different really it's a it's a different we need to learn a different language uh and way of speaking um you know not that you're learning a different language but just a, it's a different sometimes way you are and yeah and and so how do we do that in order to be understood because we call it the good news we have the best news possible god came <laughs> and he sent jesus to save us so that we could be saved and have hope in this life and hope for the life to come i mean you know it's it's called literally good news so how do we communicate that in ways that people can hear it rather than in ways that we want to communicate that and that's, you know, that's the rub there. And there's always this tension. Uh, how do I do this? So yeah. once you figure it out, you'll let me know. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, Brian, thank you for, for hanging out with us and joining yeah. us. Uh, you know, this is uh, yeah, the, the Talk About Anything podcast is just basically a conversation about anything. So we've covered that. Uh, All right. Brian, you know, if you're if you want, you can go on Amazon and search Brian Hotram and you'll find anything any and everything that he's written and you can leave him a good review or a bad review or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so we, we appreciate you hanging out and. Uh, oh, hey, thanks. Maybe next time we'll just, you know, spend the time talking about the Mariners. So <laughs> there we go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, uh, thanks so much, Adam. Yeah. Uh,